series this morning in Colossians. So if you want to open your Bibles or phone apps or whatever to Colossians 3, uh, we'll begin reading in a, in a few minutes um, in verse 18. Okay, so uh, we've been saying that the book in a sentence uh, for Colossians is this, that Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. Okay, and we're going to begin... We're going to back up two verses um, and look at Colossians 3, verse 16, okay? Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Okay, let me let that sink in for a second. And here is the sermon this morning in a sentence. New rules for living flow from a new relationship with God. New resources from God. And a new representation of God. So in other words, Christ in all his riches is filling your lives. Right? Giving you new resources from heaven. And giving you a new why, a new purpose for how you live. So I just want to remind you that Christian moral teaching, so whenever we get to how we live, never is simply a set of rules to be followed, but it's a relationship to be lived. Okay? Now, we're going to get in this next session to a whole bit of instruction about how we are to live. Um, In other words, there's going to be rules that the apostle gives us, guidance, for relationship. Um, Before we get to it, I think we need to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is that Americans don't like rules, okay? Um, It's our culture, for good or bad, Uh, We're about freedom, right? We're about individual freedom. Uh, And more and more, that has come to be understood, sort of celebrated and shared as the ability to do what you want, right? So anything, whether it's governmental, whether it's social, whether it's moral, religious, whatever, anything that sort of presses in on or limits individual freedom feels bad, Okay, even if you're a Christian, this is the fishbowl that we swim in, like, right? This is, the, this is the water we swim in, in ways that we do recognize, but probably ways that we don't. Uh, we have a code that basically the things that lead to greater personal freedom are good, and the things that limit it are bad, right? So let me ask the question. Are rules restrictive? Are rules restrictive? No, don't answer out loud. Just think about this at an emotional level. When you encounter prescriptive regulations of any kind, does something in you resist? Okay, so are rules restrictive? No. When we finish here, you're going to get in your car, uh, I'm assuming, and you're going to drive home. 
At that moment, right around 60 miles an hour, are you going to be glad or resistant that there are driving regulations? I've, I've been in places in the world where they don't seem to have any, okay? Um, quite terrifying when you don't know which side of the road that you're driving on or who gets to turn left. And high speed combined with high importance without rules can give you the kind of freedom that will be your last. Right? Okay, so I think in some context, we would probably say rules, there's a wisdom to them. But what about after you get home? So you've parked your car in the garage. Now you've entered the world of relationships. Rules? Now, we live in a culture right now that is having a very vigorous and divided debate related to rules, norms for relationships. Would you agree with that? So whether it's gender, or, um, whether, it's, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's marriage, right? We, we have a lot of debate and again, there's this tension. You can hear it everywhere, people of all, all kinds. Between this tension between to what degree should we be able to do what we want and to what degree should we submit individual freedoms to the collective good, right? How should we do that in what way? Because, would you agree with this? that a household or a workplace or a society where you have a lot of relationships bumping up against each other, when you haven't agreed on the rules, can be a dangerous place, right? Emotionally, people get hurt. Um, now listen to this quote by the author C.S. Lewis, Christian author. If the home is to be a means of grace, it, mean, it must be a place of rules. The alternative is the tyranny of the most selfish member. Okay? Think about that for a second. Because in relationships where we impact each other, where we build our lives you know, together or not, where we try to put the weight of actual living over time, where we invest the most important things, right, about our commitments, our covenants, our children, our wealth, everything. If everybody simply gets to do what they want, whose want prevails? Well, potentially, the most selfish, right? The person willing to, to fight for their rights the most the person most unwilling to give or take, right? Okay, so the context that we're going to read this next section, because it's, it's an ancient piece of literature in a modern context, is twofold. First, you are new people. 
in a new relationship with God with new resources and a new why. Secondly, this is wisdom. That in the context of relationships, we desperately need guidance in order not to crash with the most sacred things in the car. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's begin reading okay, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, the word of the Lord. Now, I want to make two series of observations, giving you big principles, okay, as we zoom out, and then we're going to zoom in. Okay, the first, big picture. Two observations as we zoom away, as we step away a little bit from this text. First, I want you to notice the reciprocity that is in the text that we just read. There are commandments or regulations like rules laid out for wives and children and for slaves. But there are also, right in step every time, Rules that are laid out for husbands, for parents, and for masters, right? So there is a reciprocity in this text that I want to suggest to you was absolutely revolutionary at the time that this was written, to the audience that Paul's written to. Um, in these societies, in the ancient world, husbands, parents, and masters had rights, like they were invested with legal, social, sort of impunity, authority, with absolutely or very little responsibility. So if I blew my top, if I got angry, I, be I could become abusive without impunity. There were, not, there were not courts to appeal to and these kinds of things, for the most part. Uh, women, children, and slaves had no legal standing, no ability to own property, no, no legal ability to give testimony in court, okay? So for, for there to be this reciprocity in the way of God here, in the, in the church, as he's writing here, was absolutely in its way revolutionary. Okay? That's my first observation. Paul says that in the Lord, everyone has both responsibility and rights, regardless of their status. Second big picture observation, 
I believe that this text is giving practical instruction for people in their context rather than prescriptive endorsement of the cultural norms. Now, we can talk about some of these issues, gender roles and parenting and all these kinds of things, and we should in other contexts. I'm not going to do that this morning. Okay, but what I want you to notice is this. These instructions do not condone Roman Greco households or slavery norms. In other words, this text, as Paul gives instructions to slaves and masters, for example, is not the Bible's endorsement of slavery. In fact, sitting in the light of our cultural context, there probably is no one in this room right now that would get up on this platform right now and argue that slavery is, mor is moral, correct? We all know at some deep intrinsic level that slavery is a blight on human dignity in God's image and that it is wrong. It took the church in its different eras long periods of time to flesh this out, but that people historically that have known Jesus in his heart best have always worked against the oppression and the dehumanization of anyone. Okay? And we have very strong textual evidence for this as well. So for example, same author in Galatians 3, 27 and 28. All, have, who, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So this is the new identity I talked to you about. Now look at, look at this next sentence. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. So Paul here is laying out a incredibly new and revolutionary social ethic that is not based in societal norms, but is based in the gospel of Jesus Christ that eventually turned the tables, right? And that's why we sit here a couple thousand years later in a society where we can agree, thankfully. Um, about slavery. In the book of Philemon, Paul actually writes to a slaveholder, Philemon, about a runaway slave, and he outlines principles that ultimately became the church's and society's ultimate rejection of slavery as a heinous perversion. You can look at that later if you wish. Uh, here's my big picture comment. These instructions in this text that we're reading give us principles for living with dignity and shining God's light even in broken places and among broken people. Aren't you thankful for that? Because this is a timeless text that gives us very important principles about life in a broken society like ours, okay? and, and among broken people like ourselves and with others. Right? Now, here, here are the big principles right, in this text. Number one, in the kingdom of God, there is no dishonor, hard stop, no dishonor. Human beings made in the image of God have been bestowed with glory and with honor. 
the rights of human beings as persons are intrinsic because they've been bestowed upon them by God in his image and they are subject to no human authority in that sense, right? No human authority gets to be the one who says, you are worth more than you, right? And in the kingdom of God, we live as people of honor with honor. This means that if you have power In the kingdom of God, there is never an excuse to use power to dominate others. And we see this very clearly in the reciprocity of this text. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, what? Love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, what? Don't provoke your children. Slaves, serve your masters. Masters, remember that you have a master. See what I'm saying? There is no dishonor. If you're on the other side of power where you don't have it, what this means is no disrespect. So this is when you're, when, when you're being watched or when you're not, you live as a person of honor with honor. Now this is a whole other topic, but Jesus taught that we overcome evil with what? With good, right? Revolutionary. I was watching a documentary last night about the overthrow of apartheid um, in South Africa, but we could, we could put this on repeat in our own civil rights movement here in the States and places all around the world where ultimately the power of good over evil is never returning evil for evil. It is the power of good that overcomes evil. And so Paul is helping us in the kingdom of God come to grips with power, both using it and receiving it in a, in, a, in a beautiful way. And it's simply defined by this. In the kingdom of God, there is no dishonor. Okay, now secondly, this. There are no rights in the kingdom of God without responsibility. Do you notice that in every place in this text where in this society people had power Paul accompanies that with direct instructions about their responsibility. So if you're a husband, and husbands in this context had ultimate authority. Wives could not own property or be represented in court. So they had ultimate, they had ultimate authority. The accountability was the accountability to God to love. No harshness. For parents, same kind of thing. No provoking for slaves, or we could say even workplaces, bosses, any place that you have power. That power is to be used as one who is under the authority of the self-giving king, right? Who uses power perfectly and with love. Third rule, no responsibility without rights. So in every place where, where these folks are instructed to submit, it's in the context of two things. One, the, the number, rule number two, but, but thirdly, 
the reminder that ultimately the definition of your value and your destiny never resides in human hands. So even if you find yourself in a situation where you're being mistreated or misused, ultimately your highest appeal is to heaven, to a God in whom there is no shadows and no injustice, and who ultimately sees you, knows you, and will redeem your cause. In other words, you may not be able to, to own property in a broken society like this one, but you are rich with an inheritance that's coming from heaven that no one will take away. So that ultimately, the end of your trajectory is one of honor and of fullness, not of, not of abuse or subservience. And therefore, power itself is transformed. The abilities to submit, to work for good in every situation, the empowerment, the dignity that comes upon the worker, even the slave, cannot be taken away by the abuse of human hands. Isn't that amazing? Because there is no responsibility without divine rights that come from God. So here it is for you, and I'm going to speak this over you like a, like a blessing. Um, because if we grasp this, it utterly changes the way that we live. So let me say to you, you, and you, and you, and you, are people of honor in Jesus Christ. You are forever members of God's family. And by the way, you're rich. Beyond imagination, regardless of your status, because there is an inheritance stored up in heaven for you that is yours by birthright. You follow a self-giving God who used power, ultimate power, for mercy and for love and for goodness. And now you get to participate with him in love and goodness and mercy everywhere you go. Your rule of life is love. Applied in a thousand situations. Your purpose, now get this, your purpose is to bring the peace and the love of heaven right here, everywhere you go. And this, my friends, is the role of heaven. Can I pray over you? Lord, um, I ask that the power, the depth, the richness of Christ would fill our lives. I ask that it would sink more deeply into us than the messages and the destinies and the hollow rules 
in many cases of our society. I pray that regardless of our status, when we have power and when we don't, that this remembrance would change utterly the capacity and the perspective and the honor with which we live. I pray that heaven itself would begin to seep into homes, neighborhoods, our community, ultimately our society and around the world, and that the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that revolutionizes not only eternal destinies, but the ones that begin right now and last forever would come to earth. We, we pray this in the spirit of Christmas, Lord, where you started all by coming yourself to put things right. Um, and I pray that you would bless my friends. In Jesus' name, amen.